Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we are going to be examining the readings for the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time in Cycle A. It's August 9th, 2020. Uh, in general, let's take a look at these things from this perspective, that life brings us various storms, and we can't find God in these storms if we just look. Elijah did, Moses did, even Jonah did, and as we'll see in the Gospel, the apostles did. Uh, you might think it's strange of me to talk about Jonah in this particular case, but Jonah is a good example of somebody who uh, did find God in a storm. If you remember in the story of Jonah, he ran away from God because he didn't want to do what God had told him to do. And so uh, he got on a ship and was going to Tarshish, and there was a great storm that came up, and nobody that was uh, on the ship with him understood what to do, Jonah was totally ignoring the issue by sleeping in the hold, and uh, Jonas knew that uh, the, he had caused the storm and asked him to be thrown overboard, and the men tried to get him to shore and couldn't. They were in the middle of the sea, and they couldn't, and there's, there's a great parallel there to what happened uh, in the storm in the, that we'll see in the gospel. <clears throat> Pardon me. And as soon as he th was thrown overboard, uh, Jonah was rescued by this large fish, and the storm and the sea calmed down for the sailors. Now, if you look at the first chapter of Jonah, you'll see all of the turmoil that's going on, and the and the the storm. And at the end, you see that God sent this fish to rescue Jonah. So that's chapter one. In chapter two, you see Jonah understanding what God has done for him, and it's a great prayer. And at the very end of chapter two, Jonah is. Through, uh, is spit up on the shore back where he started from. Okay, so you've got that. And I it, I recommend the book of Jonah to anybody who, who uh, does any reading. Uh, the other thing is, if you look in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul tells us that he was shipwrecked three times. So just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean that you're going to have uh, storms in life that it's not going to seem bleak and that you're about to ground. And we sometimes don't think of that. Uh, we think that it's only if you're going to be a Jonah trying to run away from God that you're going to experience these storms. But that's not really the case. So I've talked a little bit about storms, but now let's look at the first reading. And the first reading is from, uh, first is from, uh, pardon me. I don't have it here in front of me just yet. The first reading is from, the first book of Kings, chapter 19, it's 9a and 11 through 13. So 9a just sort of sets the thing up. And it talks about that, that Elijah came to the mountain of Horeb. And again, I invite you to read all of chapter, 18, of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verses 20 through the end, where you see Jonah's great, or pardon me, I'm thinking of Jonah again, Elijah's great victory over the 450 prophets of Baal. And this is a tremendous victory. And as we'll see in the gospel, this is a victory as big as the feeding of the 5,000. And, and so Elijah has this tremendous victory over the 450 prophets of Baal. And then in verses chap chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, we see the great fear that was caused when uh, Jezebel, the queen of the northern kingdom, threatened to have him put to death like he put to death the prophets of Baal. And so he runs off, and he gets as far as the southern end of the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, 
and he leaves a servant there and travels another 40 days to Mount Horeb. And Horeb, uh, Horeb has, is also known as Sinai. And you, we know that two things happen at Horeb. Uh, one is that uh, that is where Moses first encountered God. And so if you look in uh, Exodus chapter 4, you will see that this is where uh, Moses encountered God uh, at Horeb. And if you remember in Moses' life, his life is broken into three parts. I'm, I'm doing a lot of digression today, but I think it's important to understand. The first 40 years, Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt. He killed the Egyptian and had to flee. In the next 40 years, he was a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro, in Median. Uh, so 80 years of preparation for leading the people from Egypt into the Promised Land. But here it, he, he, is, it, he sees uh, Moses is there at the bush, and he goes over and looks at it, and the bush is a fire. And Moses can't understand what's going on. He goes over close and God tells him to take his sandals off. And he does. And God reveals himself. He says, Moses asks him, who are you? Who should I, you know, you've given me this job to go take the people out of Egypt. If they ask me who sent you, who do I tell him? He says, I am. So God reveals his name as I am, the, all, the ever existent one, the eternal one. I am who am or something. Uh, Yah or Yahweh. And so this is Horeb, where he was revealed. The other time that Moses was there, and I'm going to read from Exodus 19, verses 16 to 20, it says, Now at daybreak, two days later, there, was a, there were peals of thunder and flashes of lightning, dense cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. And in the camp, all the people trembled. Then jo Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the bottom of the mountain. Mount Sinai, the other name for Horeb, was entirely wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in the form of fire. The violent smoke, the smoke rose like a smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. Louder and louder grew the trumpeting. Moses spoke, uh, I said, spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Yahweh descended on Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain, and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Remember, that's when Moses got the Ten Commandments. Now, why are we? Why am I wanting to talk about this? Well, it's mainly because if you look here, uh, Elijah comes back. See, and and Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets in the Old Testament. So they have, both have an experience on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And in some ways, it's sim similar, it says. Mount Elisha came there to hide, to get away, to make sure that Jezebel and whoever she sent after him didn't find him. And he took shelter in the cave. And then he still heard God. Now, he was running away from God. He was running away from God's assignment to him. But he still heard God. And God said to him, go out to the mouth of the cave and stand there. So God comes and again, like he did to Mo when Moses was going to Mount Sinai, he says, you've got a heavy wind. Uh, 
that's rending the rocks in the mountain. But God was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. As, as on Mount Sinai, God revealed himself to Moses with all of these things going on around him. They were symbols of his presence, but that wasn't God. When we are in the midst of turmoil, when things around us are going crazy, and we have all these things that should cause us to fear, maybe that's a sign that God is nearby and God is trying to come and visit us. That's what God was doing with Moses. That's what God was do, was, uh, uh, was doing uh, with Elijah here. And in a sense, God was trying to get Jonah's attention through this marvelous storm that came. And the only out for anybody was that Jonah be thrown overboard to bring back calm. God introduces situations in our life that can be fear-inducing, but he's there. And we'll see that in the gospel as well when we get there. But God wasn't in all those places. And it says, after the fire, there was a tiny whispering sound. When he heard this, Elijah hid his face in his cloak and went out to the entrance of the cave. In the midst of all these things that were going on that were creating all kinds of noise in Elijah's life and reasons for fear in Elijah's life, he heard a still, small, whispering sound. Moses was attuned to the voice of God in Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. There's a similar verse in, in Psalm 37, uh, the reference to which I don't know right offhand. It's probably about verse 17, but I don't remember. Can you be still in the midst of turmoil? Can you be still in the midst of all kinds of noises in your life? All the noises that the world forces upon you. If you can be still, and if you can be attentive, that can happen. And how can you do this? Have, some of you may have noticed this, and I have. You can be at a party somewhere, and you can be on one side of the room, and your spouse is on the other side of the room, and you hit, amidst all the noise of all the people talking, sometimes you can pick up the voice of your spouse across the room. And that's because you're attuned to the voice of your spouse. We are supposed to be so attuned to God's voice that we are able to pick up his voice in the midst of all the noises of life. And that's exactly what Elijah did. And he went to the entrance of the cave because he knew God was going to speak to him in the midst of all that was going on in this gentle, tiny wind. God was going to speak. <clears throat> and remember, the word for wind is ruach, the Hebrew word, which means, can mean wind, it can mean breath, and it can mean spirit. So 
the Spirit, God's Spirit speaks to us frequently in a still, small voice. And he speaks to us in the midst of the all the things that the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil throw at us to distract us. But he, the Spirit will speak to us in that still, small voice. Are you attuned to the voice of the Spirit in your life? One of the things that we have here also is that Elijah was driven by emotion to leave the northern kingdom, leave Samaria. He was at Mount Carmel and traveled all the way down to to Horeb. Now, <coughs> emotion drove him. He drove him all the way to Mount Horeb. The power of the emotions can contradict faith. Jonah or Elijah had the faith to conquer the 450 prophets of Baal, but he didn't have the faith to conquer Jezebel. So his emotions conquered his face in that. God can touch us even though we are in the midst of the power of the emotions over us. He can touch us when we're in a tight spot. Uh, God wants to speak to us. He wants to give us what he, what's going on. And if you read beyond the passage that we have here, we will see that Elijah was then assigned to go back to the northern kingdom. He was supposed to go to his successor. He was supposed to anoint a king of Syria. And God was not finished with Elijah at that point in time. So let, with that in mind, let's go to the gospel and take a look at it. Now, the gospel is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. What is, you have to remember here that this follows immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. So there's been this tremendous victory that the apostles have seen and participated in where Jesus was able to feed the 5,000 men plus the women and the children with the five loaves and the two fish. And there was more left over afterwards than there was before. After this, Jesus decided that he wanted to go to pray. And so he sent the apostles off into the across the Sea of Galilee to the to another point where they were supposed to meet up. And he went up to the mountain to pray. Now, going up to the mountain to pray is not anything unusual for him because if you look in Mark chapter 1, verses, verse 35, it says, In the morning before dawn, he got up and left the house and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. So chapter 1 of Mark, which is very early in Jesus' public ministry, we see that he is already going to a place alone to pray. and that And he didn't cease that. Even in, if you look at Matthew 26, 36, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, Jesus came with them, the apostles, to a plot of land called Gethsemane. And he said to the apostles, stay here while I go over there to pray. So Jesus had this history of going off alone to pray. You would think, 
Why? He and the Father were one, he's told us. So why would he do this? To have a concentrated time alone with his Father so that they could exchange, that exchange between them could take place. And it's it's meant as something for us to uh, know that we ourselves need to find a time where we can be quiet, a time when we can hear God, a time when we can communicate with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are called also to go off to a lonely place, other place Jesus talks about going into your closet to pray, meaning to get away so that you can you can be there with God alone. Some people find that adoration in an adoration chapel is a way they can do this. Others uh, may be sitting on a beach somewhere uh, or in the backyard. It doesn't make any difference. Find a time to get alone to be with God every day. Now, what's interesting here, too, is that Jesus sent the apostles off. Now, he wanted to be alone, but he sent the apostles off to be apart from him at this particular point in time. While he was, when it was, he was, meanwhile, the boat was a few miles offshore. Uh, so basically what you've got is that the, the boat that the apostles are in is in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Was in the boat was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. Remind you of the story of Jonah? Does it remind you of the fact that Elijah was on the mountain and the strong wind came up and was damaging everything in sight? It was there. And in this particular case, Jesus himself had sent the apostles out into the midst of the storm. No. Now, let's, let's digress here for just a moment, and let's look, go back to Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. Remember, Jesus was in, a boat, was in the boat this time with the apostles in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And he says, Then he got into the boat, followed by his disciples. Suddenly a storm broke over the lake, so violent that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep. So they went to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are lost. And he said to them, Why are you so frightened, you who have so little faith? And he stood. then he stood up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. They were astounded and said, Whatever kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So the We're talking about Matthew 8 now, which came before Matthew 14. So the apostles have already been with Jesus in a boat where Jesus was at peace in the midst of the storm, so much peace that he was able to take a nap. (coughs) And the apostles were going crazy. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus was with them in that storm. They knew Jesus was with them. They knew Jesus could save them from the storm. Now, in this particular case, it says during the fourth, fourth watch of the night, which would be sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., so they've been going a long time now. They've been paddle, trying to row this boat to one shore or another and haven't made any, any progress. 
he came to them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. Now, this is something unusual. I don't think they'd ever seen this before. They'd never seen a man walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. I think I would be a little terrified too if I saw someone walking on the water um, because I, it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, it's just, it's not natural thing to happen. It is a ghost. Okay, what they were thinking is that someone who has a physical body would not be able to walk on the water. The only explanation they had was that it was a spirit. And in their mind, perhaps, it was a malevolent spirit that was walking on the water. And they cried out, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once. Now this, at once, is an immediate, is an interesting word. It's one that is more proper to... Uh, uh, to uh, Mark, because in Mark, it, it's sometimes translated immediately. So Jesus didn't waste any time. He said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. At once, Jesus said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said in reply, Good old Peter, open mouth, insert foot, speak before you think. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus, if that's you, I want some of what you've got. I want this power to walk on the water. I want to show these guys in the boat that I'm number one. Let me walk on the boat, on the water with you. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. You know, you hear so often that the reason why Peter began to sink was he took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on his circumstances. And I think that frequently we do this ourselves. God calls us to keep our eyes on him and even in the worst of circumstances. I'm going to quote you a couple of things here also uh, that... Uh, you need to know. One is James 1, verses 5 through 8. And James is talking about wisdom, but this is the same thing. Any of you who lacks wisdom must ask God, who gives to all generously and without scolding. It will be given. But the prayer must be made with faith and no trace of doubt, because the person who has doubts is like the waves thrown up in the sea by the buffeting of the wind, that sort of person in two minds, inconsistent, in every way, activity, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If You've got to have faith. What we see is the faith of the apostles here was being buffeted by the wind. They were being buffeted by the wind because of their lack of faith that, God, that Jesus would not send them into a circumstance that was not for their benefit, that Jesus would rescue them from the worst circumstances. They were being buffeted by the wind because they have doubts. Another scripture that is, uh, I always think of when I think of faith, this is in Mark, I'm going to choke, quote chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Background, the man brings his son, his epileptic son to Jesus, and the apostles can't cure him, and Jesus comes and does, does it. And he talks to Jesus, he says, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. If you can, retorted Jesus. Everything is possible for the one who has faith. At once, immediately, 
the father of the boy cried out, I do have faith. Help my lack of faith. When we are in circumstances where we're being buffeted by the winds and the storms of life, we need to admit, Jesus, my faith is not strong enough. Be the Make up for my lack of faith. Help the little faith. I do have some faith, but help the little faith I have. What does Jesus do for, for Peter? Immediately, again, immediately, Jesus stretched his hand and caught Peter, Peter and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why isn't your, if you have the faith, he says elsewhere, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be tossed into the sea and it will do it. Peter's faith at this point is not even mustard seed size faith. Why do you doubt? You've seen all the things I've done. You saw me feed the 5,000. You've seen me heal the sick. You've, you've seen all the things that I've done previous to this. Why are you doubting me? Why is you have so little faith? that if I tell you to do something, it's going to happen. You've already been out, sent out in Paris and saw all the miracles that you were able to perform in my name. After they got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now this happens before Peter's great profession of faith. Uh, if you remember that, uh, Jesus asks, and uh, I'm going to quote Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. Now, this is immediately before Peter is declared the first pope. Jesus asks the apostles, who do people say that I am? And they answer, you know, Elijah, John the Baptist. But who do you? But he, you, he said, who do you say that I am? Then Simon Peter spoke up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Simon, son of Jonah, you are a blessed man because it was not human agency that revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So what are you going to do, folks? You know, Philippians 4.13 tells us, There is nothing I cannot do with the help of the one who strengthens me. Jesus wants to be your hope. Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to be there with you in all things. He is there with you in all things. It's just you don't see him in those circumstances. God has a plan for your life. And sometimes that plan includes going through storms. And the storms are meant to build your, build your faith because you will find out that God really cares for you. Uh, we're not going to have time to... Uh, to do much more this after today, uh, just I ask you to think about: Is there a place where you encounter God? How does He manifest Himself to you there? And the other thing is, if you're like Elijah, have you had a great victory and then experienced something that seemed like a tremendous defeat? God is going to be with you in the victories and in the defeats and in the fear if you allow Him to. Thank you so much for listening and may you have a blessed week.